I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving podcast. Thanks to everyone for the great feedback for recent episodes. Um, last couple were Cynthia and Tiga, and both of those episodes were really fun to do. I think they both came out really well. And um, yeah, I'm quite enjoying doing this show. It's kind of, um, it's a lot of content to churn out doing one a week, but um, all the conversations I've had thus far have been really interesting and have been quite illuminating for me in terms of the way I think about the scene generally and the way people navigate through it, which is basically what we're talking about on this show. It's um, musicians and music people chatting about their lives, their lives in music anyway, and um, how best to interpret what's going on and only give them a moment, I guess. Um, I've had a comment that I'm interrupting too much and that's probably fair. This is the first time I've really done any kind of interviewing, so um, I need to learn to wind it in a little bit. Um, so I'll try and do that going forward. Um, unfortunately, when I was first given that feedback, I was, um, I'd already re- recorded another three episodes. So um, yeah, that was not taken into account on this week's episode, unfortunately. But um, going forward, you'll, you'll uh, see a new restrained scuba. Um, I should point out that my real name is actually Paul Rose and I'm people call me Paul, no one calls me Scuba. So um, for the purposes of this, it's useful to use the Scuba name, but um, if you're thinking about me, please don't, don't think about Scuba. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, this week on the show, we have none other than Rosca. He is the godfather of UK Funky, unambiguously, I would say. Um, if you're not familiar with what UK Funky is, we talk about it at length. Um, how to define it and what it actually means. 
in the conversation. He has released a number of albums, which we also talk about. He's an excellent DJ, um, continues to make a lot of music, some really, really interesting stuff always comes out of his studio. So, um, yeah, I will come back after the conversation to talk about releases and that sort of thing. Don't want to clog up this intro any more than necessary. So, without further delay, here's Roscoe. Roscoe, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, all good, you know, all good. I can't complain at all, man. Um, started, um, started. well, I haven't started. I've been working on an album for the last few months. Um so I've got like um, PRS funding for it, which is quite cool. So, um, yeah. Okay, well, we'll get into that, definitely. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, um, I mean, there's, there's loads of loads of things I want to I wanna talk about. Yeah. Um, but just to get us going, um, we're both from London and obviously London's like an, it's an incredibly musically important and vibrant place. Why do you think that is? What, do, what, what is so special about London that makes it like that, do you think? Um, I feel like, like it's the it's the DIY culture and the culture to take ownership of a of a, of a sound. So um, whether it's garage, whether it's um, dubstep, DMB, um, even funky as well. It's like you know we we take ownership of it and we make it our own. We we interpret it in our own way. Um, and uh, I feel like maybe maybe not as much now, depending on what genre you're talking about as well. But I feel like like when when I come through. Um, sort of like 2006 ish. It was that was that's what it was all about. It was always it was always about you know you had to you know put your stamp on it. You had to have your own sort of signature vibe. You know when you look at like uh, producers like Sticky or like even like uh, Wookie, you know it had like distinctive sounds and stuff. And that you know they took ownership of samples and you know made them their own. Um, and and I feel I feel that's what that's what made. Or makes London its own thing, you know. We got standout key players that you know will continuously get booked or be held as like like quote unquote legends, you know, because of what what they've done on or how they've what how they've like conducted and directed a sound and and pushed the boundaries as well. You know, it's, it's important thing of like with music. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say that you well that um, you put it in a kind of DIY use that term i mean that's that's something that really resonates i mean it's that kind of dub plate culture thing right so you, you have a a really distinctive thing that you a really distinctive element of your music and that's what as you said like breaks you through and then um it's the kind of accumulation of lots and lots of people doing that at once that's right I guess. yeah exactly you know it's it works out a collective like um as an example like when when i first come through and i was making funky you know it was Everybody had their own style, whether it was D Malice, me, um, Genius, uh, you know, um, who else was in there? Naughty. Everybody had their hard house band and everybody had their own like corner. And uh, when, you know, when you play those in a set, you know, it, it worked well, but everybody had their own thing. And, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, intentional or not, it was just uh, it was just the vibe that everybody brought together to make that sound right and there was no there was no template to kind of say okay this is how you know the only the only kind of template we had was the drums it had to be a specific way or it had to you know have you know a specific you know tempo and that was the sort of the the only key elements in it at that point you know same with like i guess with dubstep as well and you know yeah i mean i was i was just gonna say that there was a um in that early dubstep thing there was a there was a similar kind of dynamic where you had like 
like different elements to the sound and, and different producers were bringing something to it and that really helped like just something helped develop something from the ground up you know yeah. so so with um with i mean obviously your name is like like very closely associated with with uk funky yeah but to the to the uninitiated to to the to the people maybe in europe who aren't so clued in how would you how would you describe uk funky to someone who uh you know who's who's coming to it completely cold um i'd say it's um it's it's a it's a number of elements so i'd say um heavily Caribbean influenced where you know with the drums the Calypso um, style drums um, bass heavy from whether that's from dubstep uh, you know sort of the latter stage of garage um, and dancehall again um, a lot a lot of like sort of African sounds as well and uh, like sort of like the, the the sounds the you know this, whether it's the synths the leads pianos a lot of it I guess is from grime dubstep so yes, yeah, loads, loads. I'd say loads of different, loads of different things. It's kind of like junk food. It's just got everything in there, but you, unless you know where everything has come from, do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. So that's yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of like hard to kind of because a lot of people took their elements from house. Um, I come from like sort of like more of a grime background, and then I, I, later on I, I got into house. So then it was like, yeah, okay. So let's 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 get into that a little bit. Like, so how did it? Like, when did it first emerge? And then and then, yeah. How? What would you say? Like, the key influences were from other things going on, you know, in the sort of wider scene at the time. Yeah, I'd say a lot of influence from sort of like the European style of house and like um, um, sort of like the American side as well. In terms of like you know your your Kenny Dope. Um, sort of like the bro- and bro- the broken beat side as well, like you know from from London as well, where you got like co-op, uh, bugs in the attic. Um, you know there was there was corners of right, there. Right, yeah, um, interesting. Then, then you got like the Baltimore side, which you got charisma. Um, you've got uh, um, Dennis Ferrer as well. Um, uh, DJ well, we're Gregory. Talking, we're, we're talking like mid two thousands, right? When it yeah. started coming together, is that right? Yeah. So I'd say. Um, uh, it was around about 2005 and six when, like, that's when it started sort of like emerging that people were playing like your Dennis Ferrer's, your Charismas, and and your and your Kenny Dopes, um, DJ Gregory, um, and putting those together in sets in London. And then, as as things progressed, you know, the first the first sort of like UK funky funky house tracks were from Apple and. Um, and uh, Invasion Records, and that was, I think, that was around two thousand and six. And that's why, can I just jump in? Like, it's really interesting that you say that it was those American guys that had the early influence. Is that because mm. I mean, that's 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 quite similar actually to how UK Garage started. I mean, yeah. with the with the sort of London DJs playing those American records, yeah. sped up. Is it was is that is that like a direct parallel? Do you think? Possibly. I mean, you. I, I felt. I felt like because the. Though, like those artists, like so, your charisma and Dennis Ferrer, a lot of those guys were getting booked in Europe a lot. So they were getting they were getting mixed with your with your Kenny Dopes, um, with Kenny Dope, Kenny Dopes American, but like with with your DJ Gregory and and all those. So those tunes were getting played in a specific sound, which was under a lot of a lot of it was under Defected, um, um, Defected Records, and sort of around that. So I'd say it was kind of influenced by the American side, but more. Europe, the European side. So, like, um, I'd say, I'd say that's where it sort of like it it became apparent to us. So it wasn't like sorry, DJ Gregory's French, that's, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, um, and uh, who else have you got? Um, there's someone. There's a Dutch. There's a Dutch producer as well. 
um, uh, Gregor Salto as well. Um, who, who oh, right, okay. I didn't. All right, that's interesting that you said. I, I had no idea that he was influential in that. In that way. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 the it's the it's the drums. Like so, you when you listen to like um, there's like quite a lot of like um, uh, he done he done a thing called Fair Combo Sessions, which a lot of those like if you listen to those man, they're just like sick drums, man. Like literally, they're like seven minute long tracks, and like you could just literally sit in a corner, and just zone out to a man, like you know, yeah, no, no, no drugs, you know, just like straight, <laughs> just straight <laughs> listening to it, and yeah, and but they're so good, like you know, I play, I play, I play a lot of like those in my um, in my Bakongo sets, and um, and like because they they that's that's like sort of like that raw side of Bakongo that I like, you know, bar the, you know, I feel like the Rosca side is sort of more melodic and sort of like you know it's more radio friendly I guess and and um you know right just to just to clarify for the listener like uh, Bakongo is is another alias yeah. of yours that you use um you've used I mean it's it's been around for for a long time right but it's, it's it is kind of distinct it's a similar sort of area but it's but it's definitely sonically distinct from the Rosca stuff yeah yeah so I mean Bakongo and Rosca I started at the same time um and uh I, I started releasing um around about 2008 and then the Rosca stuff picked up so I kind of like put the Bakongo stuff on a back burner and released every now and then and um, the difference between the Bokongo and Rosca stuff is the Rosca material is more more vocal driven uh, more melodic um, and um, yeah I'd say not more f- more fun is a weird way to say it but it kind of sounds a bit more sort of like leaning towards anybody that likes sort of like it's radio a bit more stuff. accessible that's right? right yeah yeah and then with the Bokongo yeah. stuff it's way more stripped back less less melody going on odd bits of percussion going on a bit more dirtier as well and just kind of like a bit more experimental I guess in that in that sense so yeah that's the difference between those two yeah so just just going back to the the um like the start of UK Funky how it how it developed like sort of to the casual observer it, it seemed to be a sort of part of the fragmentation of of Garage because obviously Garage um went from this um you know very sort of club dance floor like champagne more, well it certainly became a kind of like you know champagne and shoes thing and and then it splintered off into sort of grime and sort of more commercial stuff and then obviously dubstep came out of it too yeah and I sort of assumed at the time that Funky was was a sort of direct part of that. I mean, is, is, is was that accurate? And how would you say it in the context of of, of sort of fragmentation of that UK garage sound? Um, it's it's weird. Because the, the way I came in, it was kind of hard to tell where where it where it was stemming off from. But I, I, I felt like it was. I mean, looking back at it, I feel like yeah, maybe maybe it did have a stem off because like I, I felt I found that. When I was in Funky, there was periods where, like in the early stage, when when it became quite MC driven, that everybody wanted to like, sort of like branch off and do something else, and that's when you found a lot. Get garage, you mean? You um, mean garage? Well, with with so, with Funky, same thing with Funky as well, and that's and that and that, that right. mirrors the same right. sort of like thing. So I'm guessing because I, I wasn't around at the the initial start start of Funky, so it kind of mirrors. Where Funky, where the MCs joined in Funky, because there was a period where MCs were getting single deals and stuff like that, it mirrors the same sort of like, um, sort of like journey as Garage, but in such a shorter time. I'm talking like, we're talking in less in less than five years. It literally, you know, if you wasn't established, you you wasn't pretty. You was pretty much a sort of like a nobody really in in Funky. Um, that's how quickly right. it turned. So yeah, I mean, looking at it now, yeah, you can see there's there's, there's parallels where they both sort of match up, but where 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 garage and grime split, it was such a longer, 
longer journey. It took a longer time, you know, from where, you know, where Wiley's come in, your Wiley's, your Dizzy Rascals and stuff like that. Whereas with Funky, it was like, you're getting MCs that are getting single deals. And and what what I realised was, um, without without offending any of those MCs, it's like, those MCs that were in Funky were kind of like, didn't make it in grime. If you yeah. listen to um, uh, Boy Better Know, Too Many Man, that's, that's, um, that's Funky Tempo. There was a period where like, right. Boy Better Know and those guys, they were jumping on because there was a, at that time, there was a lot of clubs getting shut down around grime. So there was like that 696 form or whatever, um, which was kind of like a form to basically say that you, like they had to, you had to kind of um, like uh, declare that you're playing or whatever and put your name, your full name and address down for grime. Oh, you're, you're, okay. So, okay. Yeah. So let's, let's just clarify that yeah. again. Um, the 696 form was a, something that the Metropolitan Police in particular implemented. Is that right? That's right. I yeah. yeah. It's kind of, it was, a, it was a bit of a racist and form to be fair. Like they, they, and they know that as well. That's why it's not around anymore. So it's, it was kind of to de- declare that you're playing. It was kind of to wean out the sort of like criminals from, you know, the, the, the quote unquote professionals. I think it was anyone who was playing at a club had to fill out this form. It was yeah. that, wasn't it? Yeah, was that's it, right. Or, or was it, was it, it wasn't just, it wasn't just to promote it. It was, a, no, any it was everybody. Sort of yeah. So it was the, it was the promoter and any, all the performers. So whoever's announced on that lineup had to, had to say it. So, but it was only applied to certain, seemingly only applied to certain nights, right? Which, which gave it the, uh, yeah. yeah, the kind of racist connotations. That's as right. You say, yeah. Where, and, and like, you know, funnily enough with the Metropolitan Police, you know, one of the, that's the least, the least surprising thing yeah. that you've heard, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So at, what you found was a lot of MCs were spilling over and and coming coming to funky. So that's why that's that's how too many men is it's one it's like one thirty two BPM, you know, it's far away from like your one forty sort of like typical grime grime sound. So yeah, as you can see, it's like there there is a mirror, but it was such a sh- like funky was such short lived at that in terms of development, I don't think it even got a chance to even uh, really like like have a flurry of producers to establish themselves and find and find a way of because it, it, it was weird because like even during that time they weren't like so my my label was literally like one of the only labels that came out of funky at that period of time and 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 not many people understood how what to do to release actually release their own music so it was like it was like really like the blind leading the blind and no one was really like even trying to like I was my phone was open all the time people could have asked me how to do certain things but no one really went out their way to even try and do it so it was kind of like people weren't really that serious on you know putting music out or even having it having a consistent career in it as well well that's that's the flip side of that DIY culture yeah. right because if you if if, if everyone's kind of you know just just doing it on the fly and there isn't really a sort of like a solid knowledge base because I mean those things build up over time right, right. And, and 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 within what well what I've noticed about London based scenes is that they're quite protective yeah like so if, if you're in it you're in it but if you're not they can be quite difficult to break That's in right yeah so when, so when a new thing um when a new thing comes up there isn't really you know you don't really have those kind of elder statesmen um, to you know, to to tell tell people what to do and to tell people how to, you know, for example, if you're if you want to put out your own stuff, how to get a distribution deal and all that. So so yeah, I can completely see how that that would be how that would be the case. Yeah yeah exactly exactly. So it was it was a lot of, you know, it was, it was yeah it was it was it was actually quite it was actually quite tough because at that period, I, I like I don't remember like I was putting out my music via 
directly through Beatport. So I had my own beat like portal on Beatport. So I'd have my own back end login. Same for like Juno download. And then I was pressing up my records at that time. And then I think when I when I signed to Rinse, that's that's when um I got um like I got, I got, I got a distributor because I, I, I didn't know what was, go- I didn't hardly know what was going on. I was literally learning on the job, man. Literally, I mean, like everybody else, I guess. But I, yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. like, what I, the hell okay. is this? Well, <laughs> right. Well, Lewis, we're going to talk about the label um, later on. Um, I just want to just keep it general um, for the time being yeah. on, on the subject of, of of the genre of UK funky. So, so how's it? How has it developed since since that sort of initial five year period where there was a kind of sort of loads of hype about it and like you say like you know the ma- majors jumped on it and people were you know, MCs were you know sort of clamouring to get involved. So how has it how has it gone since then? Um, it's since since what so as in since since from then to now. Yeah, what I mean is like that period which you just described yeah. where, you know, there was a sort of five years in where there was like, you know, just, just a kind of frenzy around it. Yeah. How did that then develop up to, you know, up to the present present time? Um, it's interesting because like, um, I feel like there's like a new sort of like genre, like genre that's sort of like emerged from South Africa called Ama Piano and, and it's like 122 BPM, but like everybody over here is like pitching it up to like 128 and stuff. And it's like, well... Like, but it's I'm a piano sounds like slowed down funky, and it's like, it's like all those people <laughs> right. that are playing it. It's like they've tried to run away from something to come to something else, and like maybe maybe I'm just being ignorant. I don't know, but like, when did that emerge? Then when, when did that, over the that last, I'd say over the last eighteen months, roughly, it's been right. it's been picking up. Obviously, now now sort of like I mean, I, I don't know how lockdown how, how long lockdown's going to be. I mean. How, how long everything's going to be open for but like I mean the eternal question yeah yeah but like since 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 lockdown was lifted and parties have been happening that's when it sort of like has been picked has, has picked up more but like my, my thing is is that we had a particularly good genre here why are you why are you walking away from something that that's not broken do you get what I mean so that, I mean was there a was, was sorry to jump in but yeah. what, like after that sort of like, like I say five year period where there was this big kind of boom was there, was there like a sort of like a bust cycle after that yeah Did it, it, it was it kind of it like... was fucked man honestly like, uh, so like so like so what happened what what when I, I I was talking to someone about this the other day and and I kid you not this is how this is how it felt for me yeah so there was a period around so this it was around 2013 I think it was and no no everybody was Nobody was really playing funky, and but I was going everywhere. I'm kid, I kid you not. So I, I was literally, I had my, I had my American visa. No one weren't really even trying to go America. I was like, well, people are trying to book us, so I'm going to get my visa. Where I went America, I went, I went, I've been lit pretty much everywhere that like a popular like genre would have been. So like I was literally yeah, yeah, going where around. The demand was right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I was going literally everywhere and. I remember I was going Ibiza. Literally, I was. I, I, I mean, there was one period where I, I played. I, I went Ibiza. I played Ibiza. I literally same clothes, typical, you know, t- touring vibe. Straight to the airport. You know, your, your suitcases behind the decks. You're like you roll straight to the airport. Go. Went back home. Slept for two hours. Picked up my car. Drove straight to uh, uh, Field Day. Played Field Day. 
Um, and uh, I, that was um, I played before James Blake, and literally, I'd like I'd never do that again because he had the amount of girls screaming after him, which was ridiculous, man. <laughs> I swear down, if you'd see, it was like I thought they were screaming for me. Then I turned around, and you know James Blake's quite tall. Like he literally like was yeah, like right, right. I was like nah. So anyway, so that happened, and then. Uh, <laughs> And then and then I went straight back home and then I played the after party at XOYO um, and I was shattered, but I played... So three gigs in a day, three, basically. Basically three gigs in a day and literally every show was sick. Like the first... The, 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 um, I played... Where did I play? Um, Amnesia. Um, I played Amnesia in, um, in Ibiza. That's the best one. Yeah, mm, sick. That's the best one, definitely. And then, and then yeah, then, X, um, then um, Field Day, that was sick. That was really good, and then XOYO. That was me, Elvis, nineteen ninety, um, and I think was it. I think it was Bengar and Chrissy Chris, and um, that was absolutely sick. And I kid you not, the next week, it was like it was like someone sent a broadcast message out to everybody and said, "Yeah, Funky's over, mate." <laughs> and literally, like, really? like after that, wow. it was a struggle, man. It was such a struggle. That was two thousand and thirteen, and literally, like. At that time, I wish I'd just got a job, but I managed to survive and, um, yeah, I've done all right. And luckily, I, I, I bought a house, like, a couple, like in 2011, so I was like, I didn't have to, you know what I mean? It was like, I didn't have to, and my missus, my missus as well, she, you know, she was working, so it wasn't like I was down and out, but it was stressful, man, I can't lie. Like Really? So it was a, it was a hard cut off? Yeah, properly, man. And and at that time, I, I like, you know, um, that was when... Uh, it it, it beca- I felt like it like it became a manager's uh, game at that time. Like, and when I say a manager's game, right. it, it was like house was house was like b- picking up big time at that point, you know. And and you know it was you know it, you know you know your Gorgon Cities, your Huxleys, and whoever's doing it, your Shadow Childs, and and whoever. That's when that was picking up and. Um, Everybody had a manager. <laughs> like, yeah, that whole UK UK house. Oh sound. man, yeah, yeah. I, I remember it well. So like, yeah. so everything went from being multi-genre to nah, nah. This this house guy cannot play on anything else apart from a house set, a house a house lineup, and and that's when it became difficult because it became rigid again, and you know it, it was like it, you know, it, the fun times kind of disappeared for a bit because. I was happy coming yeah, on that, after I mean, Scream. That, like I could come on after Scream and play, and then and then zinc after me, or like have Elvis ninety ninety and Bot Bot do a night slug set after. You, it was like you could you could you know, and people would people would understand it because they know that that's what you do, that's what they do. But then when the house thing come on, it was like, what the fuck are you playing? <laughs> so it was kind of like I I, yeah. I did I didn't get like I tried to understand it, and then at that period it was like you know. I remember, I remember being told like, oh yeah, slow down your tracks, you know, make it 4-4 four, four and stuff. I'm like, why am I doing this? And like, there was a period where I was like, do I need to do this to survive or whatever? Do you know what I mean? And, and um, you know, I, I kind of just thought, you know what, like, I'm just sticking to what I do. And like, a, a two years, it was a struggle, man, from 2013 to 15. And then after that, I was just like, fuck it, man. I'm just going to go whole hog, man. And just like, try and build something with with my label again and and try and try and like A&R some artists that are actually interested in funky and luckily man like you know I found I've, you know I started like getting into the process of like mentoring like artists like building them up to a point because I had enough experience to kind of understand how it works and and what what an artist could do in order to you know to steer their career into a you know getting consistent bookings and whatever you so and that's when I picked up like uh, Murder He Wrote um, Majora and, and um, who else um 
uh, there's a few others, DJ Polo later on, and um, and a few other artists. So I start I started like sort of toying with the idea of like like working on my label, getting them to like do a, you know a couple of releases, two or three releases, try and put an event, and you know do and and mentor them and try and steer them into a, you know into a good path. And I think you know I say it works probably eighty percent of the time, which ain't too bad, you know, considering that you know. You know, I, I was, you know, I'm not exactly, you know, at that point, I wasn't like experienced, but obviously I had enough to see where things were going and, you know, what I could, uh, what I could do to help someone, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, going, going back to what we were just saying about the, you know, that kind of having those elder statesmen, as it were, to, you know, to help people through. But what you were saying before about how, um, how we went from a, in, in the UK, we went from a, a real kind of like multi-genre landscape where there were big parties yeah. with really diverse lineups and musically diverse, I mean. Um, and um, that kind of, that was, I mean, I was I was talking about this on, I have talked about this on, on this podcast previously, that the kind of what p- people called the sort of post-dubstep thing, yeah. which was its own thing in itself but also kind of like described that kind of multi-genre landscape and that was kind of that was how i i got interested in in funky and interested in in your stuff yeah just because there was like so much you know cool stuff happening in the uk scene and 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 funky was definitely part of that yeah um and all and all this stuff that came out of came out of dubstep and you know the the reaction to you know like the north american take on dubstep which obviously um you know wasn't to most of our most of our tastes yeah uh, (laughs) shall we say um but um it's interesting that you say uh that you had to i guess i guess what you were saying is that you had to kind of like put your entrepreneur's hat on and that's another thing that we've talked about on this podcast is the kind of the, the necessity of of the musician um, these days to have like you know different things that you do in the business to, to just to kind of have a life and yeah. and you know actually make enough money to get by obviously your label is is a big part of that yeah um and you you obviously started it uh, quite early on and it's still going now but in 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 the middle of the the sort of the, the period that we've been talking about you you, you signed to rinse and you did two albums on rinse and we'll talk about those later but just give me an idea of like um how do you see that kind of entrepreneurial thing in terms of in the context of your whole career? I mean, going back to the very start, and obviously you've just described a bit about how how it's been important, how it's important in the kind of mid period. But like, I mean, how do you see that? Like, how important is it to you in terms of like like making a life for yourself in music? Yeah, I feel I feel like you know when you know if I, even now like I get I get I get people like questioning like you know what do you do in music and it's like. It's, it's a full-time job, man, and it's way beyond a full-time job. You know, you're always thinking about, you know, I, it took me it took me years to learn to switch off and go and find something else to do, and and that and that's and I think at that period when I was um, when 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 everything sort of went really quiet, that was that was one period where I was just like constantly thinking, what do I do? I was on holiday thinking about what about like my plans and I'm like mate just enjoy your holiday and and that and that was that was the struggle for me you know trying to trying to weather that storm and not think about it too much because you know you just got to continue and just be consistent and that and that's one thing that kept me through you know um just being consistent you know you you see how much music I put out and you know like I was going through some stuff the other day cuz I, I set up a TikTok and started breaking down some of my old tracks and stuff and um I've even got like 
demos, old demos from my first album, my second album, and like and so forth. And and uh, you know, it's just a testament. You have to be consistent. You have to, you have to continue and and do it because after a while, you will either break through, or if you're if you're new into it, or you know, people and pe- people will understand what you're trying to do and 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 interpret it much more better when you're consistent and you just carry on what you're doing. And um, yeah, throughout that period, it was just about you know. Not, I wasn't even overthinking. It was just thinking about what I'm, you know, what well, I was overthinking, I guess. But it was just thinking about what I'm going to do, and and a lot of it I was doing it at that time, but it felt like it wasn't enough as well because of the landscape of what was happening during that period. Um, but it's overall, it's so important to just have a plan, stick to it, and then just carry on doing what you're doing and, and tweak it every so often if you feel it's not working. But never, never scrap it. You know, it's like. It's like when you get those artists that, um, you know, they're, they're so close to like smashing it, quote unquote, and and then they go and start an alias and start again. <laughs> or like they're not right. sure about it they're, you know, or they're not sure about what they're doing. And it's like, mate, like you're overthinking it. Do you know what I mean? Just just do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I feel I feel like you have to you have to just keep knocking on the door and keep keep doing what you're doing. And and, and sometimes it's just sometimes it's about like even now, like I, I, I find myself not talking to too many musicians because I feel like everybody's in this weird place of like trying to discover what's going on next. And it's like, if I just keep, if I just keep on a straight and narrow, man, take my daughters to karate, crack on with my day, enjoy the music, enjoy the journey. It just takes everything else. You know what I mean? All the stress is away. Yeah. 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 I, I totally hear that. And, um, you're right. Kind of trying to keep a, like a sense of perspective, yeah. I guess is, is super important, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, okay, so so t- tell me a little bit more about um about the label and how you A and R it and how it's sort of developed. So because so, it's because it, if I'm not mistaken, like uh, you basically started it just as a kind of a way of releasing your music. That's right. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So what happened was um during um during like uh um 2006 and seven, I was just like I had a plan of an idea of what I wanted to do like where I wanted to go with it musically and and then you know it was about okay cool where do I send my tunes to like who's who's putting this stuff out and then it was like no one's no one's putting this stuff out so I was like how am I going to do this so then luckily Juno Juno Download had um this uh this link um um for labels so I, I thought you know what let me set my label up so I was like well, what do I call it Ruskin Kicks and Snares fuck it I'm gonna call it Ruskin Kicks and Snares so I called it that and then I and then I started working out like sort of the logistics and as I was going on I was just googling man and just kind of learning how do you what, what does a label do beyond like just putting the music out like how do I register it what do I need to do so you know a lot of that came you know just come naturally I was just you know asking people like I was I was, I was like I was interning for Zinc at one point like I was sitting in the studio like making teas man do you know what I mean like just trying to figure out how to what what do you do like what what does just to just to learn just to, to learn, learn what happens right exactly yeah. the same thing when I when I was at Rinse like and I always say this it's like I didn't I didn't go to Rinse for like um because because of money or because of that I wanted to go to Rinse to experience the good and the bad and the ugly do you get what I'm saying you mean saying? when you when you signed to them when as I, an artist when you I, mean? when I signed to Rinse yeah because what I wanted to understand was the business side of it as well, and it was like, what better place to go than to go than to go to rinse? And so you, learn signed, you signed to rinse in end of two thousand and nine. So what happened was I put out, and this is where the consistency runs. It's like I put out I put out five releases during that time. Um, I done I done a double double A side with Jamie George, a wonderful day in love tonight, 
And th- those two were actually close to getting signed to Relentless and Ministry of Sound, literally around the same time as well, because we was everywhere with those tunes. And um, and that and that's and those those are the two tunes that kind of like um, that Rince were interested. in. And I was like, do I go with a major or do I where it could they they could drop me off any time or do I go with someone that's building something? Especially as they was championing Funky as well. Um, and um, they were a big part of, of Funky as far, as far as I could see anyway 100% man so, so, so Genius was um, just to put it in context for, for people who are not, not aware uh, G- Genius was running Rinse from, from the start and um, I mean I, I was on Rinse much earlier than this yeah. I was on from 2003 to 2007 or something but but they as a, as a, as a station um Got behind the sound early on, right? So, did, yeah. did you, you? You presume you must have had a rinse show. Yeah, yeah. So I had I had a rinse show from two thousand and nine, um, and um, yeah, then I signed, and then I released my first album two thousand and ten. So um, I'd say I'd say it's more Sarah than Genius that was behind everything, you know. Um, that got that got behind me, and and I'd say not discovered me, but kind of yeah, found found out I was that you know making you know some of the tunes that a lot of you know that, that people were playing. So. I'd say I'd say that she was she was like sort of like the main steering behind that and you know about the I'd say the ideas were genius um, and Rat who was who was who was sort of like working behind the scenes at Rinse and and um, and uh, and Sarah with you know were heavily behind it were were heavily you know pushing everything and um, you know and because dubstep was at a, such a point as well where it was it you know it was massive you know and and. You know, so yeah, just to put that in, in perspective, yeah. um, Sarah, that's Sarah Lockhart, who was the some the person who started forward back in the day, right. and was at the time Screams manager yeah. and managed. Um, I think she managed Bengal as well. Yeah. She certainly did the uh, Magnetic Man project. Right, so yeah. she was a big part yeah. of um, of the kind of the whole UK like landscape I guess yeah, at man. the time everyone that was in, involved with um, that the, the sort of UK dubstep explosion and and also funky as uh, as you've just said yeah. you know, explo- exploded um, that like Rinse FM and, and the people that ran it were, were big parts of it so so you um, your your first album was on Rinse yep. in 2010 yep so um in fact, no. Let's let, let's just keep on Roscoe Kicks and says for a moment. So, um, you you finished with Rinse in two thousand and thirteen, I think it was, or some, uh, some, two, two thousand two thousand and fifteen. But I'd say, right. like, in terms in terms of releases and stuff, and and, that, and that's where it kind of thinned out, and you kind of, I kind of made sort of like an exit. Was yeah, I'd say my last right. my last my last release. What my last my last album was two thousand and thirteen, and I done I done two EPs around two thousand and. 14 and then yeah then I, I was out <laughs> and and you um picked up the late picked up roscoe kicks and snares yeah um and so so just in terms of um in terms of you a and ring other people on the label was that was the first time you did that like post the rinse deal like was that when you first started putting other about other people's stuff or was there anything before that yeah so so 2010 my album dropped and then my debut album and then and then that's when I started. That's when I was like, questioning, what do I do with kicks and snares? Because I can't. I, I, I did not want to leave that, like, not running while I'm doing this album stuff. So, so um, what I did was um, I picked up DJ Naughty, um, Jamie George um, was was producing as well, making some beats under the name Tickles. Um, Jay Kenzo was doing some some um, some um, some one thirty BPM stuff as well that worked. Um, I picked up a guy called Shocks as well. 
um, also right, right, champion. right. So, so yeah, I'd forgotten this. So yeah, so the, so the label basically kept on and, going and Spectre but you as well with your <laughs> yeah right exactly exactly how could I forget yeah, yeah I was actually on that label yeah, yeah. okay right that's, okay right I, I've definitely not not done sufficient no 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 it's cool uh, it, do you know what this, I, I, I'm episode. just re- I'm just remembering a lot of it myself so like at, at that period it was it was quite it was quite a blur because I was doing my stuff and then the kicks and snare stuff and I, I took on it I took on it I had a couple of interns at that point as well because I was like you know what I can I can sort of like get some people on board and help you know help push it as well man and and that and that's what helped that go along because I was I was touring a lot man I was literally in and out in and out of the country um and then yeah. trying to run a label like you know how it goes it's like you've got to leave it to someone else or it, it's not it's you know it's just something's going to give man and that that was one thing I was just like no I'm I'm going to let I'm going to let that keep pushing that because you know I helped a lot of people out and you know during that period um you know a lot of those artists like like DJ Naughty and Champion as well, you know, they didn't really have a lot of releases out. I think Champion had quite a bit out. Naughty had a lot of tracks out there, but nothing officially released. So for me, I, I kind of gave them a bit of structure um, and, and like yep. an idea of, you know, you know how an artist sort of like works. And um, for, for Champion, it was, you know, it was good to have Champion on because it was like, you know, it, it kind of gave that, you know, that, that official stable that it is a funky label, you know, you know, you know I haven't just got, you know, Jay Kenzo and Jamie George, and I've got people from Funky as well. You know, like yeah, Norton. he was a sort of key key person. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Nor- Naughty was as well. Naughty was there from just like I think a year or two before me, um, and um, yeah, like I, I met up with him um, during that period, um, and then kind of yeah, just kept friends with him, and you know, helped him out, and he's helped me out, and um, yeah, with Champion as well. Like you know, it was it was a thing like where. Champion, I'd say Champion and Funky Steps, they kind of came right on the tail end of Funky and it was kind of a weird uh, time, I guess. So it was kind of good to like give them sort of like a platform. And I think for Funky Steps as well, you know, they was they was pretty consistent anyway. So like, um, you know, they had they had their own thing running. So it was it was kind of it was kind of like just trying to like keep the keep keep the boat, keep the boat sailing and, and keep everything keep everything running and and, in, and enjoying it at the same time as well because for me it was like I got to a period where I was able, I was playing a lot of my own music anyway in my in my set so to be able to have tunes that I'm releasing and playing those out as well um, was even better as well so it's kind of trying to keep try, also trying to keep funky alive in a weird way because it was no one weren't no one still didn't have a label you know considering my label was running for like three or four years no one still didn't look at look around to see who else is doing you know you know when you look at you know you see other labels in your lane or in wherever you're doing you kind of you know you, you have a look over and see what's what, you know what everybody's doing as well it's just that's just how it goes yeah, isn't it sure. you know just to kind of figure out okay cool whatever you know and and no one no one really didn't do that it was like no one really didn't really pay attention to what i was doing until it was too late and i was in america <laughs> that was funny <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously that you know, keep keeping that thing going and and keeping the um, you know, keeping those irons in the fire as as it were, yeah. like really paid off down the road, yeah. right? Because as you said, like you know, everyone has like peaks and troughs in their career, yeah. And there's always a point at which you know, if if you're in it for a long time, there's always a point where you think shit like you know like this isn't what it used to be but if you have those things that you've kept going you know you'll always have something that that you can develop and and build on yeah so so like how do you see the label now as it is you know 2022 yeah i kind of i kind of slowed down a bit during it was weird because i the pit so 20 2019 
um, I was doing so much, man. We was releasing like every week, not every week, but every 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 couple of weeks was releasing. Cause there was so much tunes. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna take it and just release, just release these tunes that I've got a format, I've got a formula. Let me just go for it and do it. So I was releasing every every so often, and um, I got tired, man. I burnt myself out, man, and. Um, I had I had this migraine for like three weeks, man, nonstop. I was wearing like Ray Bans in the house, man. It was ridiculous. And then, and then, and then, uh, yeah, my doc, my my doctor was just like, yeah, he just he said, look, just you need to take some time out, man. And like he just he said, just go and have a holiday. So I did that, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna slow down on everything. And literally by the end of the year, I done I done like a, um, a tour, I done an Asia tour, and then literally after that, um, yeah, it was like. It was like coronavirus was around, so, and it was like, I'm glad, not glad, but I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I slowed down at that period. It was like everything slowed down at that period. No one knew what was what was happening. So it's kind of like I slowed down at a period where nothing was ever going to happen for quite a, quite a while. Well, no one knew how long. And um, yeah, so yeah. during last year, I I, I spent I, I made I made like uh, I was I was releasing nearly every six weeks for a period. Man, I was just. Like, well, I was just in my studio every day, like just making music. Um, where yeah. I, I was, I was living in Catford, and um, and uh, yeah, my house just felt small, man. It just felt, it felt ridiculously small. <laughs> like it just felt like I couldn't breathe. Hey, when, so. you're, when you're when you're cooped up somewhere for for weeks and, and months on end, yeah, yeah the walls do start kind of closing in. Yeah, hundred percent. So I, I just start, I just stayed in my studio, man, and just started making loads of music, man, and. Um, I was like, you know, I'm going to release all of it, man. I've got no shows, like I've got nothing going on. And and one thing I with I'd say is the landscape of of funky and what was going on over here in UK is that I wasn't even playing over here anyway. I had I played once before lockdown here, and then once again after whenever you know when the when the sit down shows come in, um, yep. and uh, yeah, like all my shows are in America. They all my shows are in America, or all my shows are in Europe. Like I. I played um uh, my last shows were like Poland and, and the States and and then that was it. Um but I was meant to go to Spain and obviously Spain was hit heavily, man, um during that period and and I was meant to go to Japan because I had pretty much one of the sort of like biggest tracks, like underground tracks over there, um in like t- uh, twenty twenty January. Um and Really? Yeah. What which what track was that? Uh, Premi with um the Japanese rapper. Right. Yeah, right. man, we uh, like so. What happened was uh, 2019. I done. I done this. Um, so I, I, I've been going over there anyway. Like for eight, eight, every 18 months, I was going over there. I'll just drop a text and flights are booked, and I'll, I'll end up in. I'll end up in Japan. And uh, so I do two shows, and I'm, I, I'll, I'll try and add on. Because I was doing. I, I, this is the thing. I started doing all my shows myself. I, I, I had enough of agents. So I was like, these agents do nothing for me. I can do it all myself. Wow, this is that's a big step to take. Yeah, that, doing that side of the business is yeah. um that, that's a big thing to take on. Yeah, hundred percent. Like my agent Lauren, man, she's a bitch, man. I, I can't even lie. She she <laughs> pissed me off. Pissed me off. This is the thing with me and promoters. It's like I want to build something with you, and that's how I that I, and and that's a it's a business thing, right? It's like I wanna I wanna be able to go if I play a good set, let's work on something for next year or six months time or whatever. That's how I work, and I, and I'd 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 want to do that on like with any with anything I do so if I put if I if I put on a good set we do well tickets sell whatever let's work on something let's build on something or if I haven't played, yeah let's do it again right yeah make, it makes sense and my thing is as well if I haven't played in a specific city for long or for a long period of time I, I don't mind taking a smaller fee 
like just see how it works and then let's work on something in the future I want to I want to work on something so we can build something rather than I play take your money and then that's it like let's work on something and um, and I and and she ruined a lot of those relationships that I had um, and and that made me think you know what like I'm telling her to do stuff that I can do myself so why not I just do it and it was a big it was a big it's a big risk but I did that and um and that's and once when I started doing that, all the shows that I started getting in and started reaching out to people for were the shows that I should have been doing. Do you get what I'm saying? So, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. The difficult part, I guess, of of that of doing it is um, like the financial negotiation side of it. I, th- I think that's that's the tricky bit because it's always difficult. Like talking about money when when it's when it's you, you know, and it's always much easier if, if you know talking about it on anyone else's behalf. You know, it's much easier having that conversation when it's slightly in the abstract. Yeah, if you see what I mean. Yeah, of course. So I mean, how, so how how have you found that side of it? Um, I've, I've, I, to be fair, like I've just taken it in my stride. You know, I, I feel like. I feel like I'm, I'm quite a risk taker, man. Like I don't, I don't really, I'm, I'm not scared to yeah, take. By the sound of things, man. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really have that fear of like, um, like wanting to, to feel it, feeling that I shouldn't do something. You know, obviously, music, music wise, you know, I, I try and keep it as linear as possible, and you know, I understand that there's got to be like a marriage between me and the people that are buying my music or listening to my music or listen to me, hear me out, play, you know, it's like you've got to enjoy it as much as they've got it. They enjoy it as well. And I feel like that's quite an important thing, you know, if I'm playing my music as well. Um, but overall, like I'm not, I'm not scared to jump ship or sack someone or because again, you know, when it became a manager's game, it's like no one really had a voice for themselves. Like no one really could turn around and go, no, you work for me, and I think people forget this. And it's like, you know, and and, and that's absolutely, and that's why I was. That's why I'm just like, yeah, cool. I'll just, I'll just do what I do. And and during that period, when I when when I when I um jumped ship, yeah, like I said, all my shows were were. I, I haven't. I'd say I'd say probably about two out of the fifty shows that I, I've done were weren't weren't that great, but. Everything else was great, and and the only place I've got an agent was in is in America, and that and yep. and I took and I took that based on he what you know he he wanted he it's a little bit it's a little bit different. That's over right, there. that's right. It, the way, the it, way it makes it sense. Works. Yeah, it makes it makes total sense to have that that security over there. Um, but everywhere else, I was like, nope, do it myself. Like so, people were hitting me up and going, oh yeah, who's your agent? No, no, it's me. Come, let's let's do this, and we'll do it. And and I think people are shocked how professional I can be. You know, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> right? You know, like, well, I mean, as as musicians, we don't have the best we don't have the best sort of reputation in terms of like this right. is it. I feel I feel like I feel like you know I, I, I set a, like a a bad president on like on social media like early doors. You know, like being such a rebel and <laughs> right. online, but it, you know it didn't it didn't work for you. But obviously, I'm older, man, so. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's, course, no, it's different. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess you have no regrets in that in terms of like do, doing that side of it yourself and and taking more. I'm presuming you don't have a manager either. From what you no nah, no. Nah. Oh, do you know like so on my last the last album I did, which was 2018, I was meant to do a live show. I was meant to. I had an agent and had a manager, and that was my agent. I got sacked. So I, I sacked her literally. As my as my albums drop in and as my live shows pretty much like ready to go, and yep. my manager had no time for me, which was weird because he was excited about me jumping on ship of um, and he was excited about the project, 
Um, and then I ended up sacking him. And then literally, as I was ready to go with my live show, the club that I was meant to do it in closed down. So I was like, right, oh, wow. forget it. Right, that's it. You know, when this promo goes out, I'm done. <laughs> but um, Some, sometimes there are signs. Yeah, man, you've got to read them. <laughs> that's it. So I'll, I'll, you know, I, I, you know, I was happy it went that way. And and one thing I, I've I've learned is that you know with music is that anything goes, and you 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 got to be just you you got to be unprepared for the and prepared at the same time. You know, and it's like just just let things if if things aren't going your way, if you feel that something's not right. Then just fuck it off and just crack on with something else. Like I do it with I do it with artists. I do it with anybody. It's like if I feel there's not something right, we have a discussion. And we keep it moving because it's not meant to be that serious. It's not meant to be that deep. We're meant to be having having fun here. This is this is one of those the most like sort of blessed sort of situations we're in in terms of being a musician and being able to do something creative. Like you know we're basically scribbling on a piece of paper, and you know we're creating something that people aren't you know you know and 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 you know making revenue some people making making a bit of money off it so it's it's one of those it's one of those things so i, I yeah, try and keep it as I fun mean, as possible right exactly i mean that's what i was getting at i guess with the original question which is you know like as, as musicians it's 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 a challenge to you know put food on the table you know and, and, and do do that in a way which is true to yourself like creatively and, and artistically and and sort of navigating your way through that life is just a huge you know it's, it's a huge undertaking you know yep. so so yeah um anyway um i wanted just to go back right to the start we we said right at the top that you're a londoner so yep. am i um tell me a little bit about how like how you got into music in the in the first place and, and when i say got into music i mean like how did you like the very very start like when did you want when did you know that you wanted to make tunes when did you want to know that you wanted to be a dj all that stuff tell me a little bit about that yeah so i mean <clears throat> djing come like really late for me um so like for in terms of like making music so my uncle he had a um, studio in um in this flat in um in nunhead in, in near peckham peckham sides and um and uh, I used to go there, like, every, like he was there every Saturday and I used to go there and just literally just sit in a corner, man, like from like for hours, just 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 taking like studio sessions. And, and what was what, what kind of music was getting made in there? Uh, Hip hop, um, R&B. Um, and uh, but it was like it was it wasn't what I wanted to make, but it was it was it was uh, it was just what. My uncle was like a massive influence because like my my dad wasn't my dad wasn't around and like my uncle was like he always took me under his wing and um, and uh, you know he would he would always literally be you know just checking in on me I guess and and uh, so I'd always go to the studio with him and um, and literally just sit there and and just just taking taking the sessions and and then and it got to a period where I, my my other uncle he like he was like into computers so he like he got me to build my own computer. Um, from scratch and um right and that's the, that's the, the perfect synergy right yeah that's it man <laughs> computers and music oh man exactly. so i was building computers literally from scratch sometimes i'd go to his house and like he'd have to build like a you know a stack of pcs for like a computer like an internet calf and i'd have to go there and set it up and install windows we're talking like windows windows 98 sometimes you know 95 as well like discs where it was like literally on on cds so you got like God knows how many CDs, and you, you know, it's telling you to insert CD fourteen or whatever. That that's and that's that's where it all started for me. So I was mixing both of those two together, and then I started, and um, I got I got. Like, so this is like late nineties sort of time, I'm guessing. Late nineties, yeah. So ninety nine was like like a pivotal moment for me. It was like when I left, I was I was out of school, and 
you know, I was kind of like trying to figure out what I, what I wanted to do with my life. Like I literally like, I didn't, I didn't, all I knew was art. I didn't, I didn't, I barely got any GCSEs. I didn't like, literally, I was just like, I don't know what I want to do, but I don't, I don't, I don't like learning was not my thing. Like I was good in, I was good in school, but it was just like, it's just not my thing. And then I got to about night, um, 2002. And then like, um, it's like my, it was like a, he's not, he's not I, would, I wouldn't say he's a distant, he's like my second cousin. And he was, he was into like DMB and garage. And, and that was, that was it for me. Like at that period, I was like, no, like so I'd go to his house. He lived he lived near London Bridge, so I'd I'd go to his house, get some tapes, Heartless Crew, everything. And and that and that's that's what kind of shaped me. I kind of started finding my own what I wanted to listen to. Cause my mum my mum was listen would listen to like R and B, uh reggae, a lot of like soul and you know, a lot of stuff that I guess like, you know, it, you know, it's it's got a lot of soul in it, I guess, in terms of that and, and the core the core of what a lot of music uh is sort of today or what 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 a lot of music today takes its elements from and um and then and then at, at that period I, that's when I started getting into like MCing I was MCing for a lot and um and uh, at at the same time I was making music as well so I was making garage and then um at that period you know that's when dubstep and grime was sort of like you know doing his thing as well like you know uh, yeah, early so early two thousands. That's then, right. Like. Yeah, so like you know, Hatcher was on rinse with with Crazy D, and that that was before it was even called dubstep. I think I've I've still got the a mini disc with that on. I found it the other day when I moved in <laughs> into my studio, and you, like that that was that was yeah, what I was man. listening to, you know, and um, and 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 that's when I started to find what I what I liked, and and I got to, I got to about two thousand and four, uh, and yeah, my PC crashed, man. I lost all my grime tracks. Literally, I was ready to go, man. I, I was talking to someone from um, I forgot what what crew it was. They wouldn't even know if it, uh, they wouldn't even know me. But it was, I think it was Macabre Unit. I was talking to someone from there oh, yeah, about yeah, releasing yeah, yeah, something, yeah. and I was literally like ready to go, man. I remember um, uh, talking to Plastician before I was called Roscar, like, um, and you, you plastic. He was Plastic Man on on MSN because he was so accessible and. Um, he was my first contact as well. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like the first thing I ever did after I, I was in Bristol for three years at uni and I came back to London. The first thing that I did in the London scene was interview Plastician when he was called Plastic Man for some like nothing magazine. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of known him ever since. Yeah. Like, before I got on, before I got on Pirate or anything like that. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a great lad. Yeah. hundred percent, man. hundred percent. I spoke to him the other day actually about NFTs. That's quite funny. So, um, yeah, it's, that, 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 and that's what that's what built me. So I got to I got to like two thousand and four five, and yeah, I lost I lost all my grime my grime tracks and my garage tracks, man. And I was just like, ah, you know what? Like, let me you know let me just take a chill pill for a bit. And I was I was working at the time, so I was I was working at O um, two. Uh, um, I worked in one in Camden for a bit, and then I kind of I started like I started as like Christmas temp, and then I moved and then I moved up to like um, a manager. I was acting manager and. To, um, in 2008 and that's when I kind of um I started I, I left and then started doing like night shifts so it, and it worked well with me making music in the day and sort of like trying to um sort of like uh uh sort of like network a bit more and and do a few like trying you know pursue my sort of like career in music um doing pirate radio right, and stuff yeah. like that so it's so it, so when did you when did you quit your day job um, well, obviously it was a night job but like when did you quit your regular job uh, t- uh literally like uh, a month before 
my first album I ran out of annual leave because I, I don't know what made me think I could I could do it like uh, like I, I, I thought I could I thought I could do annual leave and then maybe take a couple unpaid leave days and and do this and I literally I ran out of annual leave for that year and then I was but my album dropped um, when we was doing that we was we was releasing on Mondays and then and then uh, the following week I was meant to go to America for for a month and I was like. I, literally, I woke up and I was like, "How am I going to do this? Like, I haven't really thought this out. Like, what, how, <laughs> do you know what I mean?" And, and, but at that time, it was weird because, like, from like being 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 from like a West Indian background, it's like that. Like, the the idea is you go to school, you go to college, you go to uni, you get a job, and that and, and that was the that was that's that's what that's the journey you take. So when I when I when I said, "Oh, I'm going to quit work." Literally, man. Like my family was looking at me like I, I, I robbed a bank, man. It was, it was crazy. It's like because it was so serious. It was like, what are you doing? But they didn't understand how much I had going on because that that year, two thousand and ten, that was a massive year for me. It was, you know, it was. Um, I start. That was when I start first. Like um, the year before, I was, I was, I started going like overseas, doing overseas bookings, and then, um, then I'd done America twice. I'd done uh, my essential mix that year. I played uh, Glastonbury, um, you know, uh, Love Box, uh, Global Gathering, like all these, all these. There was like ridiculous amount of festivals that were just like it was a new world for me. But I was like, no, I'm quitting work. I should be all right. And I saved enough money. Like I literally all, all anything I made from music during those couple of years, I just I saved it anyway because I I, I didn't need it because I was working. So right. like so yeah, okay. so like, and, and I always say any any new musician that ask me what do I do when when should I quit work I say when you've got enough money in your bank because yeah, right. because you don't need to leave good work advice. you don't need to That's leave work good advice. yeah man yeah. Like, I've seen people leave work leave, leave work to go and pursue music with nothing behind them and then have to go back to work and it's like you're doing it wrong. That's got to be an, that's got to be a bad day, right? When you yeah. walk in, when you walk back into work. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. Like a funny story, actually. On 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 and off topic. I was I worked in McDonald's in the Millennium Dome for a year, and during that year, I I won three grand on a lottery, and I was young. I thought, yes, I've done it. So I I didn't go back to work, but the, there was so much staff they didn't even notice that I left, and. Um, yeah, the money finished, obviously. And then uh, my aunt was like, you're going to go back to work? And I was like, yeah. So I called them back and said, oh, yeah, what day am I doing? What, what, what days am I doing this week? And they said, yeah, you're working Thursday. And I went straight back into work. No one noticed. That's how much staff that was in there. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, again, like, and, and I learned from that. You know, you, you, just, you just can't walk out, you know. You have to have something stable before you can, you can leap, man. Yeah, those are those are words of wisdom for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, okay, I want to talk about what. Well, what one of the things that I've been uh, talking about on this podcast series generally has been like the album format yeah. and how albums kind of exist in in the modern day in 2022. Yeah. So you've released three. Yeah. And um. There, I mean, your your sound is is pretty. It's, I mean, it's it's instantly recognisable. There is a definite Rosca sound, yeah. right? It's 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 absolutely there. So so how do you how do you think about like al- albums generally? I mean, not just your albums. I mean, how, how how do you see the format, and then how do you sort of approach it from an artistic sort of perspective? Yeah, um, I, I can't lie. I love albums. You know, I I, I love doing journey. Like even now, like so the album of I've, I've got the tracks there. I've got them in a track list format. And every day that track list changes the num like track one will be track five and that's fun for me. Like going back in on the tracks and writing down notes and going, 
that needs to be changed or I need to take this out. I need to add that. That's fun for me. Like, and, that, and that's, and that's why I like doing those, those projects because there's a lot to it. And you're not just relying on yourself for these beats. Like I, I'm making, I'm working with vocalists and sometimes I work with them remotely. Sometimes it will be, it'll be in a session or the session's done and we might need to do an extra bit here and there. I love doing those things because it's, it's a bit more hands-on than just releasing a single or releasing two tracks, you know, um, but in, in terms of the album, album format, I feel like it needs to be done more in dance music, man. I feel like I feel like sometimes I feel like we can get lazy as musicians, you know, in terms of just slapping out a single here and there because it's it's an easy thing to do. Challenge yourself, like do an album, like do something that's like six or seven tracks or eight tracks or even 12 tracks. Like I feel like we need to get in this process of giving people a bit of a journey, let them understand, like, because... We've all got those dodgy tunes as well. And I wouldn't say they're dodgy, but tunes that we would go, I wouldn't release that on its own, but in an album that might sound cool or I could fit that in because... Right, I, but it puts it in some context. Yeah, right? so yeah, so give, give it a bit of understanding because there's a lot of tunes that we could release and our fan base would look at us and go, what, what are you doing, man? Do you know what I mean? What are you really doing? <laughs> so, and, But if you put it in an album format, they can look at it and go, okay, I get it now. I get it. And, and also that will open the door for you. Like, so as an example, like, um, if, you look, if you listen to any EP that I've released that's more than four tracks, there's a track on there that you, you, you'd be like, okay, cool. Do you know what I mean? But if I was to release that on its own, you'd be like... Oh, you're you're jumping ship, or you're, do you know what I mean? Like as an example, yeah. so I released an EP last year called Internal Sunshine, and I had Funky on there, and I had one dr- R and B drill track on there, but because it's yeah. because it was in that, no one's no one's it's, no one's talking about it in a sense of what's Rosca doing. Do you get what I'm saying? Right. And and then like um, in 2015, um, I released an um, an EP called Asking for It, and that that was that was that was that period where I was like, right, I'm just gonna go all in. And on one of the tracks I released was a straight house one, which was about one, two, four, one, two, two, one, two, four BPM. But again, because it's in that context, no one's really going, hang on a minute. Yep. And, and, that, and that's what I like. I like to like, just feed people in because it's like... You, you it's a bit more freedom, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a bit more it's, kind of like leeway yeah, man. to explore things. You've got to, you, you can't just, you know, you, you've got to give a bit of foreplay, man, before you jump in and... I mess about <laughs> but that's that that's what i like to do and it's, it's and that's what albums do for me is it's fun um and um you know and and for me it's like um when i whenever i make an album or a project i always look at what my best project was at that period so as an example i always look back at like uh, my debut album rinse presents roscoe and and go oh, I, I need to top that I need to do better than that, and I'm always in competition with myself. I've got, to, I've got to do something that's, that's either that level or above. I've got to be able to do something that, that stands out, and 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 I feel that's why I've always been able to make music constantly because I'm not watching what everybody else is doing. I'm only watching what I'm doing, but I will still know what everybody else is doing because, but it doesn't affect me, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, the album format overall, yeah. I love it. I feel that I wish that more people done that because I'd listen. I would listen, and I feel like all 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 we've got is like tracks that can be part of a Spotify playlist, or rather than being yeah. a body of work. Like explain I yourself. Mean, that's another thing in itself, right? That whole playlist <laughs> yeah. culture thing. Like, yeah, it's 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 crazy, man. I, I, you know, like without getting too deep into the whole Spotify thing, because I, I saw like quite a few people moaning about. Um, Spotify and what they what they do outside of music and stuff like that and um, I feel like 
if we dug deep into all these things that we use, whether it's Instagram or Spotify, um, Spotify, whatever, iTunes or whatever, we'll find that all of these platforms are corrupt, man. So where are we going with this conversation? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I saw someone complain, going, oh, and I, like, I looked at their numbers you're and I was like... You're referring, to, <laughs> you're referring to the recent revelation that Spotify is yeah. investing in sort of defence companies. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So like... But I mean, there's been a... There's been a I, you probably saw the Netflix documentary about surveillance capitalism yeah. and, and Facebook uh, and their involvement within yeah. all that stuff. And yeah. it's like, okay... Like, I mean, I, I know people do complain about Facebook, but like Spotify does seem to be this sort of like disproportionate, like sort of bet noir for, for people, you know, like, but, but let me ask you, um, what's your opinion of like, like the streaming model generally? So not just, but obviously Spotify is the biggest streaming platform, but like, you know, there's, there's Apple music, there's, there's, you know, Amazon, there's, yeah. you know, whatever, Deezer. Um, how do you, I mean, how do you see that? Like as as part of you know because uh, as someone who who runs a label as someone who you know you take care of your money yourself you're you know you've got your eye on the bottom line all the time by the sound of things yeah. like how do, how do you see streaming like give, give me your it's, give me your kind of like wide critique on it you know what it's it's a tough thing it's one of those things you either you can, you can miss out you can either miss out and not include yourself on that and just release physical and do other bits. But then you're missing out on people that would generally listen to your stuff. So it's like, you know, you're not going to get that much from streaming. It's like, it's either we accept that we can fight it all we like, but it's never going to happen. The majors, they have every single outlet in a in a in a fucking headlock. So it's like, we're, what are we trying to, what are we trying to achieve? We're, we're, we can fight all we like, but it's it's, it's no point. So I, I just see that as an additional thing. Um, I like I like the infrastructure of Bandcamp because it kind of gives you that, you know, like you can recoup a little bit quicker with, with you know, and you don't have to wait a whole quarter or pro rata or whatever to get your, to get, to get your money back to either if you want to reinvest it or whatever. And, uh, and it gives you what I, what I love about Bandcamp, sorry to just yeah. interrupt, but like what I love about Bandcamp is it gives you the direct interaction with, with the people yeah. buying the music as well. So exactly. you get their email so you get that and you can communicate with them directly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I feel like, the problem, the problem with Spotify and whatever they've got going on at, over that side as well is that their infrastructure is pretty decent in terms of like the, the you know, the Spotify artist things for getting data um, and all the other little bits and and the way their layout is and and that's the I think that's the thing that draws people in a little bit more like you know I looked at like Apple Music Apple Apple Music the artist section um, and then obviously you've got Deezer has got their own Apple um, artist section and stuff like that and and I feel like that. It's one of those things where it's, we're in a digital age. We have to just accept that and, and use, use everything to our advantage. Unfortunately, they're not looking to pay us that much. They do pay majors more. And it's like, that's, that's just, what, you know, what, what can we do about that? But overall, I just, I'm, 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 I'm happy to move with the times. Whatever's happening, I'll move with the times. And I feel like if you want the time you don't, the, the day you don't move with the times is the day you're stuck in that era so you can't be upset if you are stuck in that period or whatever you want to do like you know and, and that's how I see it I, I don't really I'm very easy when it comes to these things I feel like you know when you when you complain you're losing you're losing sight of what you actually came in music for you know um, you can fight for things and like I felt like uh, last year like I was fighting for something but then like it's kind of come undone a bit now and I feel like we're in a bit of a weird place you know with like you know when George Floyd situation was coming up and you know we, we kind of was like 
looking at lineups and a diversity in in music and um, inclusion um, of 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 uh, black musicians in in, um, in right, specific so this spaces. Is, this is a great segue. This is sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but this is a great segue because um, the, the, the last the last topic I want to talk about, and I, and I left it till last because I didn't want it to sort of define what we were talking yeah, about, yeah. and I didn't want it to didn't want it to take over. Yeah. But but you've been very vocal yeah. in your. Um, uh, I guess just voicing your opinion yeah. on the issue of racism in music and the, the issue mm-hmm. of representation and diversity, and and all of that, and and obviously as you as, as you said, uh, you know, it came to a head in in to a certain degree um, during the you know, the period of the pandemic. So, um, how do you see? Well, okay, so just the first, the first question I have on on that topic is um, how has it affected you personally, like throughout your career? I mean, you know, in terms of like getting started and, you know, your, your kind of interactions with people in the industry, because obviously when you do stuff yourself, you're you know, directly exposed to, you know, the, the sort of the kind of like the, the kind of underlying power structures yeah. in, in these things. So, so give me an idea of, of what your experiences be, sorry, your experiences have been initially. Um, I can give you a couple. I mean, like, um, one was quite funny. It was, um, I think it was Mixmag, um, and, uh, they did. They did a funky special in uh, the in the in uh, the Olympic Stadium. There's this like torch thing outside, and they done a stream of um, DJs that, um, and they played specific genres. And they had Jackmaster play UK funky. I'm like, hang on, mate. Like, <laughs> where the fuck was you when I was fucking pressing up 500, man? Like, so then I, I questioned that online, and wow. I, I was look. I was looking for. The, I was so looking for this tweet, man, but I couldn't find it. I spent hours looking for it. And uh, I remember that Mix Mag's, Mix Mag's excuse was, oh, that's just his alter ego playing funky. I was like, okay, cool. And then someone else chimed in and said, um, uh, don't make this about race. It's not, and don't, don't try and pull the race card. And then, and then I was just like, okay, cool. And at that, that period, it was like, like, it was so difficult to call out racism because no one weren't really trying to identify it or even accept anything beyond that so that was that was one and one thing and one thing is just inclusion um, of things like so like for years on years on end I'd play Outlook Festival and obviously Dimensions is is you know the, the following you know the, is it the following week yeah. following a couple of weeks or whatever following week or yeah, whatever yeah it's the same the, the same promoters yeah they do the same, so, yeah, so, so the same like sort of my tracks are being played constantly I'm getting videos left right and centre from the Dimensions whoever's playing at Dimensions or whatever my tunes are getting played there, and and this isn't this isn't just at dimensions, but this was everywhere. I was getting this, so I'd get with so I, I would go to my agent. Look, my tunes are getting played here, 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 here. Like let's let's try and let's try and get involved in these places. If people are vibing to my tunes here and here, and obviously I understand that some places it's just not viable, but. If I'm hearing play, people playing a whole set, and I'm not going to mention names because I don't want, I, I, like, I'm beyond that now, but it's like they're playing my tunes constantly. And then we, we, we approach them, we approach Dimensions, and Dimensions are like, oh no, we're not playing that music. So why, why, is, why is this DJ allowed to play? Why is that, my, that DJ allowed to play that tune? Why is, why is it every year, like, at least five or six of my tracks are being played by DJs at Dimensions Festival? And I'd get that across the board every single time, um, and you know it it it, it, it became like I, I started to see the pattern, and then I've, I've and and that's what made me work. And and this and I can't like this might sound mad, but I kid you not. This is and this is how it goes. Like 
you, if, you, if you see me all the time, I work pretty hard when it comes to music. But if I was white, I wouldn't have to work this hard. And it sounds mad con- controversial, but it's like... It's, be, it's because I, I have mean, to do yeah. certain things in order to be shown. Like, I could, like, I could, I could, I could, I could get a booking to do something. They asked me for a guest mix. Why do you need a guest mix? Right. I'm on radio every right. week and you want a guest mix. But then that DJ can go and play. You don't need no promo for him and he can go and play. And, and that's been, a, that's been repeated every single time for me. You know, it's been like, like brick wall after brick wall and you know and and I feel that's where like a lot of my anger where when I was on social media a lot during that period of time a lot of that came from that frustration of trying to you know trying to get places but not being able to because like even Red Bull I remember like I've done Red Bull for years got you know got paid handsomely can't lie and it was good but when it comes to certain shows you could see that no it was like, no, this is what we're going for. Like, you know... I think... Um, sorry. Yeah, go on. What I was, was going to say was, I, I think that um, what we've talked about with the way that the UK scene developed into this, out of this kind of multi-genre thing and into that kind of UK housing, which was really white, you know, all, all the major um, artists in, in that, you know, post-2012-13 sound were white um and obviously in the dubsteps the kind of the dubstep and post dubstep thing it was it was a bit more diverse yeah um and i guess where the the kind of space that you found yourself in has has been like with it in that kind of um sort of i guess whitewashed is the right way of putting it or, or a way of putting it anyway yeah um sort of uk house sound yeah and and european and european house is is very similar actually it's it's very kind of it's very white guy mm-hmm. or, oriented or certainly has been yeah yeah um so i can completely uh i can can completely see that that, that you would have had those kinds of those difficulties and it's funny because as a, you know i'm a I'm, a I'm a straight white guy and i so i don't have any direct experience yeah of, yeah of, of course of this stuff and it's and it's very easy just to if you don't see it yeah if you're not directly sort of like if you're not directly presented with it on a on a kind of day-to-day basis it's very easy just to kind of you know just not be aware of it and and you know not just you know not, not take it seriously yeah but of course i can complete from from what you've just said i i, I can completely understand that could quite easily have been the case and I, yeah you've got to take these experiences at face value do you know what I mean yeah of course but what I would ask you now is um, has there been any change like over the years and like, and, and has the was, was the BLM moment and, and George Floyd and all that was that significant in terms of like your own experience I mean I, I, it's a difficult thing to answer because yeah. obviously we haven't we haven't really come back to full touring schedules and all, and all that all yeah. that stuff but, but but how do you see that sort of development it's it's, it's it's quite interesting, you know, because like, like one part of me is like, are you booking me because I'm black or are you booking me because like you want me to play? Like, so it's, it's one of those like well, weird that's, things. Well, that's the big question. But also like I, I understand that, you know, there, there are genuine people out there and, and they understand that there is there is a level of inc- inclusion in there. So it's like I have to step back myself and go, OK, cool. You know what? Like I'm being included now. Like let things are things are changing but i still feel the conversation still needs to happen so people are you know like um like it's on 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 the ball still i i feel like that you know you know i feel one of the interesting ones was um was hessel um hessel audio uh, they had ands on on their on the on the thing which is really good 
Um, yeah. You know, um, but you know, it's, it's it's been good because, like, obviously, I've done, I've done, I've, I've, we've done a few bits together. We done um, Outlook Boat yeah, Party. We done, we done, we done um, um, uh, Bergheim Panorama Bar. We done uh, yeah, going back Boiler to Room. Way, yeah. You know, um, so it, it's like. I know, I know where I know where genuine people are. Do you know? And and that's and and for me, it's like just continue. Like for me, for me to you, it's like continue that. And and you know, and uh, you know, it's but like for other people that aren't doing it, do it. But make sure it's just genuine as well, and make sure it's you know, it's it's um, you know, it must be a very gone. Sorry, yeah, it, finish. Yeah, no, it's, it, I feel like they just got they just got to jump in and do it and and. Not not see it as a box ticking exercise. Just just involve people. Understand, you know, same way we've got to involve women and make sure women are women are as equal as we are in music. Um, you know, um, we've got to do that. You know, what I was going to say was, um, it must be a very strange sensation having complained about this stuff. You know, right? You know, legitimately complained about it, um, and then have you know, see a sort of an, ele- an element of movement on it, but then have that kind of thing at the back of your mind. Like, is this like, is this a kind of token gesture? Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I can't imagine how that, that must feel. Cause yeah. I mean, it's the same, it's, it's the same with um, the female DJ thing, right? Or the, yeah. You know, di- di- you know, the, diversity thing across the board it's like there are you know when you've got promoters saying oh we're gonna do x percent of people of that you know orientation or that kind of that kind of background on the lineup that automatically says to give it gives the impression that that it is a box ticking exercise you know what i mean it's like when you when you have those kind of targets it's like what does that really say but then again you know how i mean how just go a little bit deeper on 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 that stuff how do you how do you feel about it I, I, do you know what? It's, I don't know, man. Like, I've, I've experienced racism enough to know what racism looks like in in all aspects. Whether it's whether you're being technical with it, whether you're whether you're being outright blatant, or whether you're just trying to and and I, I don't know. I, 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 I sit on my I, I, I sit with one ear close, and I know I know I know what I can see, and I know. But, but I try not to let it. I, I try not to be the be all and end all of what. What is going on? No, but it's it's it's. I, I hope I hope more change happens, and I hope I hope people take it seriously. You know, um, I, I tr- like last year was like the you know I had I had like a back and forth with Claude von Stroke and all, and all, and all his um and all his all his uh, all his um his fans and followers and what have you and um you know it, it, you know that was that was I've, I haven't I haven't gone back and forth on the internet in so long, man. So I was a bit rusty, man. So it was kind of like. <laughs> watching it, watching all, watching all these people like going back and forth at me and not understanding the, the bigger picture just showed me where Claude von Stroke had, and his and his thing was you know how it's all set and what he can't see you know um, yeah. you know there, you know there was one guy that was like this um, this black guy was like yeah but Claude von Stroke's done this for me and that and I said mate you're just a cameraman. Do you know what I mean? You don't. You don't get it. Right. You, you haven't seen it. You're not. You're not seen it. And and the thing is, my my agent in America, he 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 pointed some some bits out to me, and and um, and uh, he showed me this this spreadsheet of like the amount of artists that they've had over the period and what they really focus on and stuff like that. And um, you know, it was it was kind of like it was kind of interesting to see you know where what direction he goes in and, and and how he works. And he was like, he sent me a DM and said, oh, I wish you got to know me better. And I said, you know what? I've reached out to you so many times that, I, that you know, I've lost count, you know. So if, mm. if anybody was to get to know anybody, you should have you should have taken me reaching out to you. 
as you know as that time to, yeah. to get to get to know me and understand and let me understand you and then maybe I could have educated you on some things and maybe you could have shown me some things because um, that's how we're all going to learn we're all going to understand you know each other if we if we just open up and just 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 let people in and just let, and understand where where you might be going wrong and where I could change or where where I could get you know get involved in something or and it's not about me getting involved in everything it's about it's about artists getting involved like if you look around it's like um but uh, there's there's not much um black dance musicians actually coming through um from like there's a few coming through now but there's not there's not many as before and you'll find that i mean it's right. it's, it's down to obviously you know what's popular but it's also down to where they like can fit in that's right? right yeah yeah and i feel like that's that's where it lacks man and um but you know also on our side there's not really um in in like the 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 the, the sort of like the fields that i i work in there's not really many black promoters around as well so i mean that's sort of like another sort of like yeah. thing as well so it's it's it's, it's a it's no. a number of things you know that could change and be work i guess yeah i mean the the um the promoter thing is 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 something that I hadn't hadn't reflected upon, but it's absolutely right. Uh, and the same is true for, you know, for bigger label A and Rs and and managers. Like it's it's the whole that side, the sort of back end, as it were, of of the industry is is very dominated by by white guys, frankly. Um, yeah. And and that that has even if individually you know those white guys don't see themselves as being racist and probably most of them aren't overtly you know overtly mm. racist like it's a kind of cumulative effect isn't yeah, it yeah that's right so like it's yeah it, it builds it builds up yeah man but like i said i mean it's it's, it's not it's not all like one thing at one thing I, i've learned and you know even you know even like going as far back as school you know I, I, my school is predominantly white so it was like and like and that's that's why i'm able to I understand what is racism, what is not, and and I understand, you know, uh, you know, you know, white culture as well as my my own culture, you know, well as well, and 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 just un- just and just take take everything with a pinch of salt, man. I don't really take it too personal, but at the same time, I know, like for me as well, I feel like I've got like a a level of responsibility, and um, and like I said, like with the no fear situation, I feel like I've got absolutely nothing to lose by. By if 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 I have to fight and and uh, and say what I have to say in order to you know for it to benefit the next generation of musicians or artists coming through, you know, I'll, I'll do that. You know. Yeah, I mean, you're someone obviously with a like a, a pretty high level of of self confidence and self belief. You know, yeah. that, that's just come through in, in everything that we've talked about yeah. uh, in the last hour and a half or whatever. And yeah. and it's it's I think it's um, super important that you know people with with your attributes stand up and 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 say the stuff that you've said you know and and you know maximum respect to you for having done what you've done and taken the stands that you've you've taken you know because obviously it's it's not without risk you know when you when you stand up and do that stuff like people can get the wrong idea about you you can you know there are there are stereotypes um which you know people have in the back of their mind and you know it's 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 all part of that that the same thing right yeah exactly and and, and putting your head above the parapet is a risk but it's just an important thing so like i said yeah i mean respect man yeah man i appreciate it man anyway this has been great yep. i've really enjoyed it man it's um 
yeah thank you for doing it it's been super fun yeah no problem man honestly like you know anytime man I feel like yes yeah, it's, it's good to do these things man I feel like um, yeah I like I like I like talking on podcasts and like having you know kind of expressing my stuff I know like you know I, I say a lot of dodgy stuff sometimes but, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's I mean, good you've, you've kept it relatively above board I think probably <laughs> yeah I think so yeah Last, uh, I did I did one and yeah and yeah cause a bit of havoc but it's all good we're good <laughs> alright well thanks mate yeah appreciate it man yeah that was Roska and um, he's got some very interesting things to say about lots of different areas as uh, as we discovered in the course of that conversation, uh, he's someone um, as you as you also discovered that I've known for a long time, and yeah, he continues to be um, a source of inspiration to me in, in many ways. So yeah, that was a really fun conversation. Uh, a few items of any other business before we close for the week. Um, I have a new tune out this Friday. It's as SCB, which is an, al- an alias that you've heard me talking about before on the show. The track is called Hang 10. There's a uh, kick drumless version as well on the release called 10 Minus Kick. I've got to say thanks to Marianne Hobbs for playing it on her daytime show on Six Music last week. Thanks, Marianne. Um, so yeah, that's coming on Who Whom, which is a kind of offshoot to Hot Flush, which is the uh, main label that you may be aware that I run. So um, yeah, Who Whom is... Uh, well, it's kind of turned into the techno label, I guess. That's kind of what we have planned for it anyway this year. We've got loads and loads of great releases lined up for that label, all on a kind of pretty deep techno kind of a trip. So um, more news about that soon. But um, yeah, head over to hotflush.bandcamp.com. Get hold of that new track um, or new couple of tracks, SCB Hang 10. Um, as I said, out on Friday, the 11th of Feb. Elsewhere, shout to everyone who's supporting the Dart release on Rhythm Nation Records. That's another sister label to Hot Flush. Came out a couple of weeks ago. And um, yeah, uh, really good reaction to that. Uh, He's a really exciting producer from Dublin, Ireland. Um, I hope we're going to have some more stuff from him on Hot Flush and affiliated labels uh, this year, hopefully. Fingers crossed on that. And I guess that's it for this week. Just to say... You should join us in the Discord to discuss the uh, goings-on on this show. There's a link in the show notes to join the Hot Flush Discord, of which there is a channel for the Not A Diving podcast. Also, leave us a review or a rating wherever you're listening to this. It really does help. Head over to scubaofficial.io slash podcast for more info. There's a Spotify playlist there with all the tunes that we talk about on the show um, and various other things besides. So, um, yeah. I will see you next week on the next episode of the Not A Diving podcast. Thanks. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.